someone saying I'm into you from an anxious place is very different from someone saying I'm into you from an authentic place. One is I'm saying I'm into you because I'm just so afraid of being alone. I don't really know you that well, but I just want to make this work. That's not closeness. I'm really into you is I love our time together. I feel really heard by you. I feel really understood by you. I think you're interesting. I want to understand you. Welcome back to Dating Intentionally. I'm Talia. I'm a dating coach and I'm sharing no-nonsense advice for navigating modern dating with confidence and ease, whether you've been on dozens of dates or you're just getting started. I believe dating can be fun. Dating can also give us many opportunities to heal insecure attachment and work towards a secure love, which is what we're getting into today with our guest, Julie Manano of The Secure Relationship. Real quick, before we get into this amazing conversation, I want to let you know that my next dating workshop is coming up on Monday. So if you want to join live or get the replay, now is the time to sign up. This month's workshop is a crash course on early dating. This workshop covers all the bases of early dating and how to navigate the first three dates with someone new because you can't build a strong connection or get into a relationship if you don't get past date three. Whether you meet folks on the apps or in person, this workshop will give you the confidence to move through any scenario that comes up in early dating from when to make a move to building momentum without coming on too strong. I also do live Q&A at the end of every workshop, so come with your dating questions. You can learn more or sign up in my bio link on Instagram at dating.intentionally. It's happening on Monday, February 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern. And if you can't make that time, you can get the replay if you sign up. Again, you can join by heading over to my Instagram at dating.intentionally and clicking on the profile link. I can't wait to see you there. Okay, so I got to talk to Julie Manano of The Secure Relationship on the day of the release of her new book, Secure Love. I started listening it today on Audible, and what I love so far is how the book breaks down what's really happening when we're in conflict moment by moment. I've read about half a dozen books on attachment at this point, and I don't think any of them get to the nitty gritty of exactly what's going on like Julie does in Secure Love. If you're not familiar with Julie's work, she's probably one of the best followers on Instagram if you're looking to learn more about attachment and to start the healing process. You can find her at The Secure Relationship, all one word on Instagram. I'll also link it in the show notes. She has over a million followers for a reason. I know you'll love this conversation because while her new book focuses on navigating conflict in a relationship, we focus a lot of this episode on healing attachment when you're not in a relationship and the early signs of negative cycles and insecure attachment and dating. At the end, Julie answers a listener question about why we might feel turned off by someone showing us affection if we lean more anxiously attached, and she gives one of the most practical healing tips I've ever heard. I'm not exaggerating. I can't wait for you to listen. As always, don't forget to rate and follow Dating Intentionally on Spotify, and message me on Instagram at dating.intentionally. I love hearing from listeners. One more thing to keep in mind for this episode. We talk about attachment styles, but we didn't define what the four styles are because I already did an in-depth episode on about attachment. So you might want to listen to that first or read the first few chapters of Julie's book if you have a copy. If you want to check out my episode on attachment, it's number 22, the four attachment styles and how to spot them on dates. All right, let's get to it. Julie, I could not be more excited to talk to you. I've been following you for years. You're helping millions of people. You've got this new book. How are you feeling? This book is out today. How are you? 
Oh, it feels just unbelievable. Amazing. Uh, hard to believe. You know, I started this process three and a half years ago, having zero idea that it would take this much effort, energy, love, heart, soul, blood, sweat, tears. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's here. And after, I was pretty miserable. I was really trying to meet deadlines. So yeah, I'm just... It'll all be worth you. it. I, I mean, this book so far is incredible. I wrote a cookbook two years ago and I don't have any kids. I know you have six kids. To you, was it anything like birthing a child in any way? Uh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Except for on a lot longer. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You're, you're literally yeah. like laboring over the book for a lot longer. It, it feels like a child. It really does. It does. If you are listening right now, please go check out Secure Love. This book is going to completely change the game for your relationship and how you handle conflict. All right. So I start every interview with this question or a dating app prompt. So the one I have for you is I geek out on. So what do you, what do you geek out on? I geek out on three things. Okay. Well, Let's just forget my family and my job, okay? Because that's like, you know, my biggest passions. But skiing, football, and press on nails. Love it. Love the variety. I snowboard. I love snowboarding. Oh, I'm yeah, I yeah. never made it out to like Big Sky or anything. I know you're in Montana, uh, but one day I will. That's great. Press on nails. All right, gotta talk to you after about that. Several like divided plastic containers and this is I can make them last. A seven dollar set lasts for two weeks. So that's my Okay. Claim to fame. <laughs> love <Yes>. it. <laughs> okay. I want to get right into it. I love your posts so much. And I, I really, really wish I paid more attention to them when I was in a relationship with an avoidant partner. I think I was following you, but like for some reason, it just didn't dawn on me to like really read this and be like, maybe I should take this advice. Yeah, you weren't ready. Yeah, I wasn't ready. And you've been doing this work with a heavy focus on attachment for a long time. I'd love to know like what made you start your account, which now reaches a million people. Like when was the point you realized you need to bring these ideas and frameworks around secure love to this broad audience on social media? Uh, it was pretty random. I have a clinic here in Bozeman, Montana, where I live, and I have some therapists who work for me. And I had a bookkeeper at the time who said, hey, you should have an Instagram account for your clinic. It's kind of like people will maybe use it as Google. I was not familiar at all with Instagram personally. And I thought, you know, it was just really random because I was not interested in doing that. And just for some reason, one day I picked up the phone, created the account, and then realized, oh, well, if you if you have the account, you have to put something on the account, like a post. And so I thought, well, let's put out what I do with couples. Let's put it out to the world. And I just started doing little hand drawings, explaining attachment theory, and it just sort of it just sort of took off. I mean, I had a couple of clients also who were like, you've got to, you have so many, you have so much wisdom and so many important things to say, like you should start an account. And that kind of influenced me too. And so then they started following me and then other clients and it just sort of took off from there. And then I got, you know, I realized, okay, I can't spend five hours on each post drawing these little, you know, cartoons. So I, I discovered Canva and then yeah, it just happened really fast. I think I went from zero to a hundred thousand followers in you know a couple months. So incredible. I mean, it's clearly these concepts speak to so many people. Like I feel like we all deal with this. Like, but why do you think so many people struggle to take steps to heal their insecure attachment? Like what like I know for me, I've been working with, with the same therapist for six years, but it it didn't all start clicking for like until like 
five years in. Yeah, because it's scary because you have to leave your comfort zone. Because if you do start learning about what's getting in your way, then you have to start making changes because that's really the only way you know, we can have as much insight as, you know, as, as exists, but if we're not using that insight to start getting really vulnerable and step out of our comfort zones, you know, that requires that we feel a lot of grief that's stuck inside of us. That requires that we feel a sense of powerlessness when we don't start yelling at our partner to get them to do something because we know that they might actually do it if we yell. Right. And so we have to sit Mm -hmm. there and feel like, I don't have power right now. You know, you do have power. You just haven't figured out what exactly that power is, but it does require facing a lot of painful feelings. And sometimes people aren't ready to do that. Of course. Yeah, it is okay. A hundred percent. Behaviors are adaptive. So we want, we don't want to ever just strip someone of their, you know, comfort zone all at once. So I think people kind of have to titrate into the awareness. Yes. Yeah, it really, it's a process. And of course, I'm learning in my journey that it's like, once you have it all figured out, then everything, it's like, oh, there's a new layer and there's another layer. And it's just, it, it's, yeah. 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 And I'm on my own journey and that's how it will be until I think the end of time. Yeah. I'm really excited to finish your book. I already jumped in with audiobook and I'm loving it. It is definitely geared towards people in relationships or like a lot of your examples are like fights or conflicts between people who are in relationships. But what do you hope that folks who are not in relationships get out of reading Secure Love? I think that it, it's extraordinarily helpful. I mean, it's basically, yes, it's written in the context of relationships, but it that doesn't mean it's only for people because it paints a picture. It paints a picture of this is a healthy relationship. You know, if you are in a relationship in the future, you're going to bump up against everything that's in this book. Why not preemptively understand it? Know what know what to do before you go into it. I'm a big supporter of the idea that if every couple, you know, when they decide to kind of commit to each other and go forward, had five sessions of couples therapy, that would prevent a lot of heartache in the future. Just understanding what these negative cycles are that can get us stuck when we start having conflict, which will inevitably come. And if you can start managing them better from the get-go, you know, it's just exponentially easier. And I kind of see the book in, in that way also. It's like, look, read it, get it, understand it, know what you are, know what you, how you're going to show up and what to look for in a partner. And can this person go with you? And yeah, I guess it's also kind of like you can already see what's going on like between the lines. It's like, oh, like if you've read the Secure Love and you're like then coming up against this stuff, it's like, oh, wait, I read about this in this in Secure Love. Like I, I know what this is about. Like maybe I can handle this better or in a more secure way. I mean, what better way is there for a single person to learn about right. relationships? I mean, I think it's ideal to read a relationship book as opposed to just a book about you as an individual. Right. I read a lot of books about this stuff, like when I was single and relationships, like yeah. I'm reading marriage books, I'm not married, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And I, I love it. I think it definitely helps me and I encourage everyone who's listening to do it as well. And, you know, let's just say, okay, I'm in the first part of Secure Love and I'm reading about the four attachment styles. And I, I have a podcast where I've broken it down. And obviously you have a lot of more information on your page about the four attachment styles. So you're like, wow, okay, I am definitely, you're reading this and like, I am definitely anxious. If you don't have the resources to work with a therapist, what would be some initial approaches to healing an anxious attachment style? I think the first step would be paying attention to when the anxiety shows up in your body, when that anxious attached part of you starts 
talking and trying to reach for something, whether that is, you know, it's always going to be reaching for a sense of reassurance, right? Mm. And so, you know, I always tell people like if you're early dating and you start having, you know, this urge to check your phone to see if the person is texting you, right? That is your body. Something is going on in your body. Your body is saying, seek reassurance, seek reassurance. Where in your body is that showing up? You know, is this, and then you kind of have to start exploring that voice, that, that feeling in your chest, right? It's not random. It's a feeling in your chest that's saying something is unsafe. Something is unsafe. What's unsafe? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm scared. What am I afraid of? If I do go in and start checking the phone, where's that going to get me here? You know, then I'm setting up this pattern of anxiety in this relationship and what might I do better to take care of myself. And it's, it's really the first step truly is whether you're in a relationship or not starting to listen to what your body's telling you. I love that first step. And I really like the questions you're encouraging us to ask ourselves, like, what am I afraid of? What am I reaching for? And I think I always try to help people pause. It's like before you like shoot off a passive aggressive, like, guess you're too busy to text me back, like type of text. It's like, wait, just like pause for a second. And yeah, like doing that body check. People listening, this is not easy to do. Like this is a practice. It took me so long to figure this out, like with my therapist and everything, (laughs) just like how to, like how, what it feels like to check in with your body. So it takes practice if you're not getting it immediately. Let me add one thing to that. It's not just what am I scared of? I would add on there, what am I sad about? Because the scared of is always going to, the answer at the end of the day is always going to be, I'm scared of being alone and not having anybody there with me to help me with my feelings or be with me through life. And what am I sad about is all of the times in my life where I actually felt that way that I don't want to go back to. Yeah. You talk a lot about how your past affects your present and that's definitely that coming into play for sure. Anxiety. It's I've been in this place. I've been, I've been emotionally invalidated. I have felt really alone. I have not had the ability to predict whether or not I was going to get my emotional needs met. And I don't want to go back there. And this anxiety is trying to keep me safe from that. Right. And then in your book, you also talk a little bit about self-validation in moments of when you are in conflict or you're trying to shift, break your negative cycle as, you know, we Mm -hmm. we could talk about that. Do you think self-validation also works when you're not in a relationship? Like, can we give ourselves what we need? It's essential. Yes. We have a relationship with ourselves that is basically a reflection of the earliest, our relationship with our earliest caregiver. Like that's when we start to learn, you know, how does the world respond to me emotionally? Do I get rejected? Do I get held? Do I get shamed? Do I get ignored? Do I get reflected? Do I get held? You know, do I get Mm -hmm. the positive? Do I get the negative? Do I get the neutral? And we start to develop our own relationship with ourselves based on that. We are, we start to treat our own emotional selves the way that we have been treated. So if we have had our emotions rejected, that's what we say is, oh, my emotions aren't okay. I have to stuff them away. Or, oh, my caregiver is not going to be there for me. I'm overwhelmed with my emotions. I need to figure out a way to help myself in that place that might not be super healthy. And so then, you know, we we have to improve. We, we cannot be in a healthy relationship until we improve that relationship with ourselves. And when I say ourselves, mostly I mean our own feelings. How are we right. dealing with our own feelings? With that said, being in a healthy relationship makes it exponentially easier to, it helps us improve our relationship with ourself, but improving our relationship with ourself 
helps us improve our relationships with others. So it's all really working parallel and tied together. But, you know, just to kind of put this out there again, we really cannot participate in relationships with others without knowing how to manage our own emotions, because that's how we show up in a healthy way. Wow. Yeah, that is, it's, it feels like when you, I love hearing you talk about this, but also like feels so like, wow, this is a lot of work, you know, like, yeah, it is truly like a one step at a time thing. Like what I, what I love about dating and the process of dating Mm -hmm. and in terms of this work is that you do have a lot of opportunities to test stuff out, like Mm -hmm. testing and trying out self-validation, checking Mm -hmm. with your body, asking yourself these questions. And you obviously have that in a relationship too. But to me, it's like, oh, I don't have to be in a relationship to try this stuff. Not at all. Yeah. And if you also with friends, with friends, I mean, driving down the road. <laughs> right. You know, we're, we are participating in relationships every second of our existence. We're participating in one with ourselves or the people around us on the road or the clerk at the market. You know, we're getting relationship triggers all over the place, even whether we're aware of them or not. Why'd that person cut me off? What's going on? Why is this person trying to humiliate me? Or, oh, maybe he's just having a bad day, participating in a relationship based, you know, just projecting or assuming what they might be thinking and interacting with them and without even talking to them. That is so true. I never thought about it like that, but wow, now I'm going to be going out through the rest of my day being like, what am I projecting? (laughs) (laughs) It gives you an opportunity to step back and go, oh, I just got cut off. And I'm feeling kind of less than right now. I'm feeling kind of humiliated. I'm kill- feeling kind of attacked. And that's understandable because I grew up in an environment where I was getting attacked a lot of the time. And, I, and my needs didn't matter to my caregivers all the time. And so that's really coming up in me right now. And I feel this tightening in my chest. And that tightening is this doesn't feel good. This feels bad. And what I want to do is I want to start honking at the guy to show him how mad I am, to let him see, hey, you're bad, you're bad, you're the bad guy here. What can I do differently though? Maybe I should just take some breaths. So how do we know when the what the work we're doing to heal our insecure attachment is actually working? Like what are some positive signs to watch out for even if you're not in a relationship? I think that we start to feel more settled. If, if we're noticing that when you're around this person that you're dating, you're starting to feel just more of a sense of ease. You're not obsessing over what they might be thinking. You're able to kind of navigate through differences in opinion or conflict in a way. It's more of like, I would say, a felt sense in your nervous system of ease. Most of the time, there's not a lot of angry, frustrated, fear, anxiety feelings in your body. There's a post that, do you know Jessica Baum? She wrote Anxiously Attached. Okay. She has that's the one I have. I have not read that one yet, but yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Jessica Baum, she's on Instagram. She had a post the other day that I thought was amazing, which was, how do you know when you're healing? For me, I always just want to say, you know, more of a felt sense of, of safety when you're with other people, even if those people aren't necessarily being super safe. Wow. Okay. I love that. I, it's It can be really hard to know like when it's working, but I like how you put it because like that sense of ease, a sense mm-hmm. of safety. And it's like really hard to describe that. I'm sure it feels if sure it feels in your body a little different than for everyone. You know what I mean? Like wouldn't know how to describe that feeling on a sensory level. <laughs> way that I the way that I help people feel it, especially when I'm working with avoidant partners, is I have them envision a situation in their life where things were really going well. 
they had like it could be at work it could be their partner gave them this message that you're getting it right you know the the best gift or wow thank you for spending the evening with me whatever it is or or just a feeling of success and i can kind of help them visualize that and that will help them notice oh there's not tension in my body there's kind of a warm buzz you know and then i say okay now i want you to kind of shift and imagine a moment where you got it wrong you you got the message you're a failure you're a loser you're the worst partner in the world and then they notice that that tension rise up right they can through that contrast and that that's a really good way to start helping people kind of tap in is is noticing the difference between tense and relaxed by taking your brain into that pace. That is super helpful. I want to shift gears and talk about the negative cycle a little bit. And it, from my understanding, the definition of a neg- negative cycle, this is from one of your posts, is that it's a cycle, it's a feedback loop of poor communication fueled by unmet attachment needs. So when does this negative cycle typically start to show up like in early dating? You know, that's an interesting question because it, st- it starts from, from the, you know, cycles start the instant people have awareness of each other and their energy starts going back and forth. So you might meet someone, let's say at a bar, right? And you kind of like them, you think they're attractive and they're talking to you, but they're looking over your shoulder, right? And, and mm-hmm. we don't know why they're looking over your shoulder. Maybe they see someone coming in the door that they think they recognize. And so they're looking, but you start going, who are they looking at? Are they looking at another girl? Am I not enough? You know, and then you start adjusting your behavior to that. You start feeling anxious and you start flirting a little more or withdrawing, you know, and then when you withdraw, they pick up that you're withdrawing and then that they start, you know, adjusting their behavior. So that that is just to kind of show you that we're all sort of constantly in these feedback loops. But really when things start to go south is when, these two people, you know, they feel really safe with each other. They don't have any reason not to trust each other because things have been relatively positive. And then bam, they get in a conflict. They see things differently. They have a different opinion. They, one feels let down by the other. One feels like, you know, not cared for or not understood in a conversation, whatever the conflict is. And then they start communicating in a way that actually starts to send these unclear messages. And the signals are, I think, you know, I I don't understand where you're coming from. I don't appreciate your input. Your needs don't matter to me. That's usually not what the real case is. Usually what happens is, is that both partners get scared. They don't know how to deal with conflict. And so their protections go up and they start communicating from this protective place. You know, you just start putting these little chinks in the armor. The next time there's a conflict, you kind of you're carrying around that energy from the last conflict that you were able to make up from, but it still wasn't really fully repaired. And then mm-hmm. it just keep kind of getting worse for a lot of couples. Interesting. Okay, so I I guess how do you know when you're in one, like a negative cycle? Like in the beginning when it's still honeymoon phase, but you're coming up against some of those disagreements. Again, we want to we want to listen to our bodies. If you're feeling some tension and you're acting on that tension without really talking about or even going down into for yourself what's underneath that, then you're probably in a negative cycle or you're going to be in a negative cycle. So, yeah, you're sitting there with your partner and there you you have different political opinions like somewhere some areas you agree and then some you don't and they say something 
that, you know, offends you or, or that you don't agree with. And all of a sudden you feel kind of like, wait a minute, if they see it this way, how can we be in a long-term partnership? And this is going to be a fundamental difference. And, oh no, I thought we were going to get married. And then you start like freaking out inside and you can go, you know, you can go different routes with that. You can either go, well, you shouldn't see it like that. That's a terrible way to see things or you're, that's racist or whatever, like label you want to put on it. And then instead of saying, okay, hold on, let me hear more about what you have to say. I'm curious about this. Tell me more. How did you come to see it this way? And then validate it. Okay. I get it. It makes sense to me. You know, I see it a little differently and here's how I see it. That's very different than just going into that kind of judgment attacking labeling kind of place. That's then what's that going to do to the partner? They're going to get defensive. They're going to feel misunderstood or like their opinion isn't valuable to you. And so do you see the difference there? Yes. No, you're making me think of a moment I had in like the, th- the three month mark in my relationship and we're engaged now. Like Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. There was a moment where like he had this like belief or like, kind of a worldview that when he would speak it, it would, tr- it would be like, ugh, like what is what? And I did that. I was like, this is weird to me, but I want to hear more instead of being like, I don't think this is going to work out or like just trying to convince him otherwise. Yes. I was like, let me just understand really what you mean by this and see if that will help. And it did. Like we actually wow. were closer from that. And like, that was a huge moment because I was ready to walk away from the relationship, to be honest, if the conversation did not go well. Like, yeah, yeah like this is like, this was definitely like a big worldview type of moment. So that you're right. Like, yeah, instead of running away or getting or flaring up at red flags or things that you're like, what? Asking like, okay, what do you really mean? Where did you learn this? Like, what, mm-hmm. where is this coming from? Why is this important to you? Yeah. Yeah. I've done a lot of work. So I'm like, why was that not less scary? that point instead of like before years ago when I was more insecure. Like, why is it so scary to like drop everything and be like, wait, what do you mean? Well, for one, you're looking for safety. And so what you're saying is, is I love you. I want to be with you. And what helps me feel safe with you is when you say things this way, like something about what he was saying felt like a threat. It not only felt like a threat to your worldview, but it also felt like a threat to the relationship. If you see it this way, I can't feel close to you, right? And so what I learned growing up was that when there's unsafety and we see things differently, we try to convince each other to see it in a different way so we can now feel safe, right? Probably if you went to your parents and had different ideas about things, you would get the message, see it differently, see it differently. That's just how you learn to do these things. That's how we stay safe is changing other people. And so naturally that was your comfort zone. Your go-to is, oh, there's some something about this doesn't feel safe. It feels like a threat to what we have together. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say the right words and get you to see it differently, get you to see how you're wrong. So then you'll get, oh, the light bulb just went off. You're right. Now we can feel safe together. It just doesn't work that way. No, it does not. I love when you talk about how the problem is not the problem. Let's say I'm in a conflict with my partner about the dishwasher. We also we do talk about the dishwasher. He does not like how I load it, but it's not it's not like a real we joke about it, but I'm working on it. So if the problem isn't the problem, what is the first step of getting to the root together? Like Okay. Here, here, let me say this. I've I've changed my position on that phrase. I want to validate that the surface level problems can really be problems, right? right? Like if we have you know, a a very different idea about 
a religion to raise our children in together or not raise our children in, that's a real problem, right? Like we really do feel strongly about those things. So it's just not the only problem, right? And so if that's a problem for a couple that knows how to communicate through that in a healthy way, even if they end up parting ways, that is the only problem. But we have these people who have insecure attachments that don't know how to communicate in healthy ways. And so then the way that they're communicating is in this way that's just super emotionally unsafe. And now that's the bigger problem, right? And then on top, on top of that is the other layer of all these past wounds in the relationship that are now coming into the problem. So now we have three problems, right? We have the surface problem. We have the way we're communicating in the moment and we have all the past wounds, but don't worry because the book explains how to get through all of this. I may have not gotten to that point, but so what we're really doing is we have to deal with those two deeper problems, the way we're communicating now and past wounds that are contributing to the way that we communicate now. Then we can actually talk to each other in a way that we can get through. How are we going to figure this out if we have a family together? And we have to make a decision about what religion we're going to raise our children in. And so the first step is how we're communicating now, get out of negative cycles. This is the damage control, right? It's just learning these skills that I lay out in the book to not communicate negative cycles. So we're at least speaking to each other in a healthy way. And then three, for couples who've been together a while and they have all these injuries built up and this mistrust chapter, I think nine in the book is about healing those old wounds. And it's these really kind of specific ways of going through these conversations about these isolated injuries that can start to, and and we don't, that doesn't mean we have to go through every injury. Sometimes there's themes of injuries, you know, but we can start to kind of, you know, feel really heard and understood and held in those places instead of talking about these wounds and when partner starts getting defensive or shame spiraling. So we're creating this environment to heal so that when we have these conversations, not only do we have the skills to not talk to each other and and hurt each other in the moment, but we also have more of this bonding and healing from the work we're doing on these injuries. And now that's going to help us work through the surface problem. Love it. And yes, uh, I mean, obviously uh, your book goes into a lot more detail. I'm I'm very excited to get to that part. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a lot. And if you follow my Instagram, you know I yeah. have a lot to say. Yes, so. yes. You touched on this a little bit. And I again, I know you include in your book conversations for approaching this work with a partner. But what if you are in a relationship like I was an anxious with an avoidant person and this person really did not want to do any work. And this is pretty common. Obviously, we ended, we broke up. But like before that point, is it just like, okay, I'm not interested. So it's over. We can't do it. Or is there any middle part, any gray area where there could be a chance? You can't force someone to do work. You can't force someone to change. What you can do, though, is you can do your part to create an environment that's going to make it most likely that they will want to go forward with growth and change. There are no guarantees right? No relationship advice out there could ever guarantee that another person is going to start showing up in the way that you need them to. But there are guarantees that you can become your healthiest self and and increase the odds exponentially. People thrive in safety. So if you're behaving safely, if you're communicating in a safe way, what I have seen is more often than not, it does help the other partner start to kind of self-reflect more, 
right? They're not on the defense. Their energy isn't going into protective mode. They have more space to use that energy to grow as a person, just kind of like with kids, right? There are some strategies for the way that we deliver these messages. Not only do we need to be working on ourselves, but their resistance matters to them. It means something to them. There's a really good reason that they're resistant to getting the work done. I don't always know what that is. There are some common ones for avoidant partners, but whatever that resistance is, it needs to be held validated and there needs to be space for it. And that's the best way to get it to go away. When you challenge someone's resistances and you say, you're bad for that, you don't care about the relationship, those walls just get thicker. It's not safe. They're not feeling seen. Some people have had experiences where they grew up where their parents went to two years of therapy just before they got divorced, right? So for their nervous system, therapy is for people that are getting ready to get divorced. I mean, we all, every person that we know that has been divorced probably got therapy, right? Lots of other reasons. It's a matter of gentle deliveries that sometimes need to turn into firm boundaries. Right. But yeah, you start gentle, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So it's interesting you say that because I do think about this a lot when I reflect on my last relationship, how difficult it must have been for my ex to be with me. Like I do appreciate that now, like too late. It's like, wow, it must have been really hard for him to to be with a partner like me who's like, you know, it's like I wish I saw that more before it really, really got bad. So yeah, definitely the point of validating the resistance. I wish I knew that earlier. So yeah. I think a lot of people need to know that, you know. I do. Yes. And and the partner who is validating the resistance also needs validation. And that's good modeling to validate. Mm -hmm. The hardest thing in the world to validate is, oh, my partner doesn't want to go work on the relationship, right? Right. It's important. It doesn't mean you don't, it doesn't mean you like it. It doesn't mean you're okay with the decision. It doesn't mean that you're ultimately going to accept being in a relationship that's not growing, but we can understand where someone is coming from without agreeing with how they'd go about managing that. Right. So I want to ask you about a secure love, like your book is about what it feels like. And you talk a lot about how it feels content to just be together, like you're just being. So why is it so hard to just be with your partner when you are facing attachment insecurity? Well, because so much is on the line. I mean, we have so, you know, we don't want to be alone with our feelings. We don't want to be alone, period. You know, even avoidant partners at the end of the day, it's this kind of existential need to have closeness and safety with other humans. And if we didn't grow up in environments with that felt sense, we're going to keep looking for it. We're going to keep looking for it. The way that we're looking for it, we just don't, we don't know how to get there. And so it kind of leaves us just with this constant like undercurrent of angst and insecurity. Our, Our needs aren't being met by ourselves. We don't know how to help ourselves in our darkest places. We don't know how to help each other in our darkest places. And it just kind of contributes to this sense of angst that then starts to kind of drive the car. We start to notice threats. You know, those with anxious attachment are super hypervigilant to any sign that their partner might send that they're not really there or that, you know, and these can be very real, real signals. You know, it's, it's not something they're making up. Their partner really isn't listening to them, or it it could be something that they're making up. Their partner is listening to them, but they can't take that in for whatever reason. And then avoidant partners are, are also on the alert. They're on, they're on alert for, do they see me as getting it wrong? Are they wanting too much from me that I don't know how to give? And then they start reacting to that. So it's just, 
it's not only this sort of insecure undercurrent of angst, but it's then acting on it in a way that creates more of it. So that makes total sense. And, you know, I am in a relationship now where like I have experienced a secure love of just being. And one thing when I was dating, like after this relationship I had with, with an avoidant person was like, I want to avoid avoidance. I don't know if that is the healthiest approach to dating, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Like if you are someone who has a lot of awareness of attachment styles and you know you want to you want to build a secure love, what's a healthy way to leverage this knowledge in the dating process? I think it's it's look for someone who's willing to grow with you because if you know to avoid avoidance and you know what it feels like to not be with an avoidant and your body kind of pulls you away from that, you probably have a secure attachment at that point. The advice to just limited to avoid avoidance is really not going to get you anywhere. Yeah, that's not the advice I'm trying to give for sure. It's I want to heal my insecure attachment. And I want to find someone who's willing to grow with me and heal their insecure attachment also. I think that's the place. And there's so many of us, I, I mean, the world is just full of insecurely attached people. I mean, that's just how it is right now. We don't live in a culture that is got the focus on secure attachment and secure relationships. We're, we're focused on the opposite, which is achievements and great things too, but it's become really out of balance. So I don't know how realistic it is to just, you know, go avoid people with insecure attachment. I mean, it's not. It's it's not. No. As someone who has tried it, it is not because you don't know when you meet someone, no one's walking around like a name tag of like, hi, I'm Charlie. I'm securely attached, you know, like, and there are many, many avoidance out there and anxious partners too, who don't appear that way at all. Like they are engaged. They are, but it isn't until you get into those first conflicts that that avoidance starts to come out. And then your anxiety responds to that avoidance in your anxious way, which makes them more avoidant and they're more avoidant makes your anxious is more anxious. Mm So right. In early dating, if you really are trying to build a long lasting, sustainable, secure love type of connection, like what is, what are some tips to noticing certain things earlier, maybe even before you have become official, right? Like that three month mark. Is there anything we can do to see it earlier? Yes. Pay attention to how you feel. Because if, and this is the thing too, it's like, if you have an anxious attachment, you probably just kind of to, to speak to what you said earlier, you probably don't even know what it feels like to feel relaxed inside, to feel heard, to feel understood, to feel validated because you didn't get enough of it either growing up or in past adult relationships to even understand. So you need to get a real sense of how your body feels when you feel validated or when you feel invalidated. So Mm. if you're sitting there with someone on the first date and you're not feeling heard, you're not feeling like they're really listening or they're really understanding where you're coming from, or they're really curious about who you are as a person, and you're not really feeling the same thing toward them, that is your body saying, we're not connecting, right? So people who are securely attached, they're seeking connection, not relationships drives them to the next date with that person isn't wanting a relationship. It's enjoying the connection with them and wanting to hang out with them more. Yes, that definitely aligns with advice I give to people, like especially for the first three dates. Like if you had a good time, just go on the next date. Exactly. Don't analyze like, oh, they're they're in grad school. Like what if they don't get a job? It's like, okay, stop. That's that's, that's checklist dating. Checklist dating. Okay. Have all these like checklists of like surface level things. But they're in understandably because they don't know what else to be looking for. Those things are important, 
but they Mm -hmm. don't matter if the emotional connection isn't there first. It does not matter. Yeah. So let's say I'm dating someone and everything's going great and everything feels secure. I feel at ease, all of that. But I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like I do hear this a lot from people I talk to on Instagram. They're like, everything's really great, but like it feels too good to be true. What's some, do you have any advice for like grounding ourselves? So it's like, actually, no, this is, this is true. Like how, how can we navigate this? The fear that the other shoe will drop. Yeah, the fear that like, oh, the the first big complex around the corner, and then they're going to reveal they're super defensive, like, you know, whatever. Yeah, so this is where this is where we have to have that part of us that says, if and when the other shoe drops, I will be okay. Mm-hmm. That will be information that I need to have. I will be disappointed. It will be sad. I really like what we have here. And if I get some terrible surprise, that's going to be a real bummer, but it's okay. I'm going to be okay right? That's the self-trust piece. And then, you know, somewhere along the way, you need to be able to, to, it's, you know, it's healthy to put words to those feelings. It's healthy to talk about those fears. Maybe not with that person. It might be too early in the relationship to go to that level of vulnerability, but just talking through that and saying, you know, I've got these fears because I so desperately want to connect and I so desperately want to feel you know, safe in a relationship and I get so mm-hmm. scared, and, you know, what's the cost of the other shoe dropping? I'm going to be alone again or, I'm gonna, you know, so it's, it's just important. If you really kind of sit with that, I'm going to be alone. You start to, you know, you'll start to feel some of the sadness and you can process some of that grief, which is what's at the bottom of the barrel of that fear is, is really unexpressed. Unprocessed grief. It's all unprocessed grief. That's an amazing tip. Thank you so much. I have a listener question for you that came in actually yesterday. So I'm going to read this and then I would love to get your thoughts. Okay. I've always been an anxious attachment person, always trying so much more than previous partners. And lately I started working on myself and becoming more aware of it. I met a guy, we're both 31, and he's got most of my needs and some wants, but he has the same anxious attachment style as me in past relationships. And I immediately became the avoidant attachment person. I always said I want a guy who is thoughtful, loving, supportive, and he's all that. But in the same, at the same time, it's not really attractive. We've been on six to seven dates. I'm trying to take it slow. This was my initiative after I sensed that he's so into me and knowing myself from years ago, that's the best approach. But I don't feel that things will develop into something more because I don't have to try as hard. P.S. This is the first guy that on paper I actually see potential with after years of failed app dates. Okay. Well, my answer to that really depends on what is actually happening here, which I can't fully know because I don't have the you know opportunity. But one thing is, you know, I had a supervisor tell me many, many years ago, and this has proven to be true a lot of the time, that an anxious attached partner is desperately craving connection, attention, all these things. And then all of a sudden their partner shows up, and this is people who are in a relationship, their partner shows up in that way and they don't know what to do, and they push it away. Because really, anxious attached people are just as afraid of intimacy as avoidance are. They just don't. It shows up in this really different way. They have all these different kind of ways to block the intimacy, and this is this person's fear of intimacy showing up. So it could be that, right? It could be that they're fearing actual connection because they don't know what to do with it. All of a sudden it's triggering this avoidant part that's like, am I going to get enmeshed? Am I going to get engulfed? You know, Or it could be that they just are getting healthier. And so they're able to recognize, you know, this anxious energy is too much for my system. Like it's, 
you know, something doesn't feel right about this because anxious energy isn't, isn't closeness. It's the opposite of, right? Can you say more about that? What what do you mean it's the opposite? Someone saying I'm into you from an anxious place is very different from someone saying I'm into you from an authentic place. One is I'm saying I'm into you because I'm just so afraid of being alone. I don't really know you that well, but I I just want to make this work and I want to make this work no matter what, because I have this envisionment of how our life could be together. And I'm basing the way I feel about you right now on this fantasy that I have of you later. That's not closeness. I'm really into you is I love our time together. I feel really heard by you. I feel really understood by you. I think you're interesting. I want to understand you. Yes, that is very different. Words are irrelevant, really. It's Mm -hmm. where those words, the place in the body that those words are coming from. So if she's sensing all of these things, like I'm just this projection of this person's future wants, and her body is going to have some resistance to that. So I can't really say what's going on with the other person, but those are two of the big possibilities. I thank you for speaking to that because it it can be really confusing. Like I definitely have experienced similar things as I was healing in my dating journey where it's like I started to recognize anxious energy a lot more. I was like, whoa, I definitely could feel how much I was willing to take or bear or like navigate with someone. And I ended up with someone who was very persistent in the beginning, but not in a way that made me feel like withdrawing and at all. And maybe it's because I was more secure. Maybe he just did it in a really solid way. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. I can see what you mean about like the fear and just the it coming from a place of fear of like, I need to say I'm into you so that we can like, so that you like, I want to hear back from you like that reassurance also. Right. I'm saying this more as a way to kind of control the situation than I am because it's that coming from that authentic part of myself. And when I say control, I mean, soft control, not like I'm, you know, needing to have this control trip. And, you know, it's, it's more like, I'm just trying to keep myself safe over here. I've been using the term micromanage to describe soft control in a way. It's like, you have an idea of where it's, it's going to go. And then you're like trying to get that result. <laughs> yeah. And anxious people are just very good at micromanaging. It's like, yes, it's their superpower. I would love to know, other than buying your book, obviously reading it, what is one step listeners can take today or like this week to work on healing their attachment? I think really narrowing your attachment style down to the behaviors that you're using that reflect that attachment style, right? Anxious attachment doesn't show up in the exact same way for everybody that has an anxious attachment. Some people go into lots of words. That's one of their behaviors. Some people will call over and over. That's one of their behaviors. Some people are really trying to convince the other person to think differently. We all, you know, there are some commonalities, but really this work at the end of the day, I say this with caution, but it's really about behavior change, right? My job as a therapist is to start changing the underlying material to get to that behavior change, but the behavior change is the goal. So we have to figure out what the behaviors are. What are these behaviors that are getting in my way? So if you are, let's say, you know, this is my problem in my relationship, right? My husband does something I don't like. And, you know, in the past, I would have this urgency that I've got to resolve this right here and now, right here and now. I have to let him know what he's doing wrong and let him know how it's impacting me. And right here and now we have to get it resolved. That is an anxious behavior right? So my work there in this moment of urgency creates so much opportunity for me to heal because now I'm able to say, what's this urgency about? What am I afraid of? 
what's scary about holding this and bringing it up to him later? Well, I have Mm. this fear that if I don't get his attention right now, maybe we'll never get to it. Maybe he'll never hear me because in my past, I I did have to kind of get loud or protesty to have anything be resolved or nobody saw me at all. And so I have this fear that if I don't deal with it right here and now, then it'll never, it will never get back to it. Or my nervous system is so riled up and feels so threatened that it's so painful that I just want this pain to go away. Mm. But what happens is, is I show up in this way that doesn't really make anything better because then he gets defensive. And so it's a matter of like, what's really happening in me? What's this urge about? And what might I do differently right now with that energy instead of going into those habitual anxious behaviors? So look at the behaviors, work backwards. That's amazing tip. And everything you shared with us, it's like gold. I mean, obviously, I'm so excited to share this episode with everyone. You've been amazing. The book, I am excited to finish it and tell everyone I know about it <laughs> because okay, I think awesome. everyone I think everyone deserves secure love. But I, yeah, everyone thank you so much. It. Absolutely. We were born for it. Thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation and your time. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. And the secure relationship is your Instagram account. Is there anywhere else you want people to find you? Yeah, you can go to the securerelationship.com, which is my website. It's there. I also have a website, juliemanano.com. But the Instagram is kind of my hub. You know, that's where this all started. So if you go there, you can find, you know, my bio link will list other websites. But the securerelationship.com, I do have a clinic of therapists that work all over the world as relationship coaches, if you're interested in kind of the one-on-one work, but the book is just out there everywhere. Definitely, you know, start with the book if, if you're new to this work. And if you don't want to buy the book, go to the Instagram account because there's so much good information there. It's just not as kind of organized as you're going to get in the book. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this time. You're very welcome. Thank you. Okay, I am dying to hear from you. What was your biggest takeaway from this episode? You can DM me on Instagram at dating.intentionally or you can share below if you are listening on Spotify. One of my favorite takeaways from this conversation is how important our relationship to ourselves is and what that really means is our relationship to our emotions. I'm definitely going to be chewing on the idea that a lot of the unpleasant feelings we experience, whether in a relationship or not, is just unprocessed grief. Also, the idea that Everything we get anxiety about, no matter which attachment style you have, comes from experience. It's based on something we've experienced before, likely in childhood. I encourage you to meet yourself where you're at. If you've been scared to do this work and start healing your attachment, that's okay. As Julie said at the top of the episode, it's scary. It means potentially facing a ton of not-so-great emotions that just aren't fun to deal with. I loved her advice at the end, that first step of noticing your own behaviors and how you react to other people, even how you react to your own thoughts about yourself. I also love what she said about dating with attachment in mind. The secure thing to do here is to look for and pursue a connection, not a relationship. The connection comes first anyway. I'm going to be chewing on that one for a while for sure. Before we wrap up, I just want to remind you that you only have a few more days to sign up for my early dating crash course workshop, which is linked in my Instagram profile. So you can come hang out on on Instagram with me regardless. I'm at dating.intentionally. So say hello. I, I read my DMs and I respond to as many as I can. 
Thank you for listening. I'd love it if you share this episode with someone who's navigating dating and might need a little confidence boost or some tough love. And if any of these episodes have helped you in your journey, you can help me by leaving a stunning review on Apple or giving Dating Intentionally five stars on Spotify. I really appreciate it. Once again, I'm Talia. This has been Dating Intentionally and I'll catch you next time. Thank you.